Hello, Sky. Uh, how are you? Good. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine. I I was just did a little bit of jogging in the park, and Very nice. now I'm back again and feeling fresh and happy. <laughs> awesome. What's your What's your first name? Sapphire. It's yes, Sapphire. Sapphire. Yes, mm -hmm. Sky, Sapphire and Sky. These are two first names. They have two first names. Yep. Yeah, right, right. Just Sapphire is fine. Okay, Sapphire. I think we'll, I'll keep that. Yeah. All right. Well, are you ready to get started? Okay. Cool. So, welcome to CWC. I am so excited to have you on the show to talk about your personal journey to being a composer and your latest album of works for piano. For people who might not be familiar with your work, would you please introduce yourself to our audience? Yes, gladly. I'm, I'm an Austrian composer and uh, working in uh, different fields, both chamber music and co concert and lately a lot of music theater. Uh, and I'm, I'm also using extended media, electronics, videos uh, for my composition. But in this case, we're talking about pure chamber music. And I'm a piano player myself. And I'm not professional anymore. But I've, uh, since I, my, my main interest is now uh, writing, which keeps me pretty busy. And uh, so Writing for piano is, has a special meaning for me, and I'm very, very happy to have been able to collaborate with, um, with the piano player, Wolfram. We are friends, we have been friends a long time, and I also collaborated with his wife, Sabine, who is an uh, uh, outstanding uh, mezzo-soprano. And um, so, uh, the, the other thing to mention here is the collaboration with the label. Uh, this is um, a collaboration dating back to the 90s. And I'm, I'm proud to say they featured most of my major work, both music theater, uh, chamber music. And this is the latest uh, of four CDs to be released. One was a, a, a chamber music CD for flute and double bass. And the third one is one for four voices and electric guitar and live electronics developed at IRCAM at Centre Pompidou at France. That is so cool. I love hearing lots of non-traditional ensembles. I think flute and double bass is such a great timbre together. I just love the colors that it creates. Absolutely. Um, it's, uh, I, I was inspired by the color with this release and with these compositions, since uh, the main composition on this CD is called Winterlicht, mean, which means um, the light of winter. And so, Sefa, uh, you, you, you guessed me. This is about color and about timbre and it's it's an extraordinary combination, bass flute and 
uh, double bass. I really love it. That is so cool. That's going to have to be the next album of yours that I listen to. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. As a composer myself, I use color a lot when I'm thinking about my compositions. A lot of my um, pre-composing phase before I even start putting uh, pitches to what I'm thinking starts with coloring or painting and just thinking about the different textures that I want to put together and the different colors that I'm thinking about. Yes, this, this, this sounds interesting. It's um, um, this whole spectral thinking in spectrum and, and, and colors. It, it's something um, most intriguing and, and uh, it, it motorizes a whole uh, section of new music nowadays, we can say, as it did in the in the late nineteenth uh, century with with uh, the late Wagner and the, the late Debussy and Ravel, and um, nowadays it's it's the analysis of spectra, it's microtonality, and all these uh, things which relates to color. And in this regard, um, uh, the uh, the present release is is pretty monastic because. It's it's focused on the piano, 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 and uh, just the eighty-eight and black and white and nothing else. And this is a, a very conscious step of reduction, I would say, uh, since, as you can easily guess, deducing from my age, I did did write uh, pieces for prepared piano. I did. And I lately uh, did a did a piece for two prepared pianos for as a prepared piano forehand, and uh, um, so I know what that how that works, and uh, it's lovely in its own way. But in in this regard, uh, I wrote a series of of piano piano pieces which were really focused on playing the eighty eight and nothing else and getting the colors the hard way that is really interesting and a great lead into my first official question the right. first thing the first thing i thought about after i had explored your album is that i was very intrigued by this concept of in-betweens that you talk about in the cd booklet how did this concept affect your composition process in terms of technique and execution? Uh, I, I wouldn't rather call it a concept. It's a state of being uh, since I, as a, as a human being, I'm in between. I'm in between so many genres, experiences, um, both in my actuality and both in my lifetime. And I'm surrounded, if I walk through the city, I'm, I'm surrounded by so many paradigms of music. And uh, this in-betweenness, it's, it's, for me, it's a state of being. Uh, since I'm, I have the feeling I'm in between uh, uh, so many different musical paradigms happening simultaneously, and uh, the, oh, my whole um, uh, life was marked by many different stations in musical careers 
ranging from being a jazz musician, a rock musician, an electronic musician, a live performer. I have been uh, more than 40 years live on stage as, a, as an improviser, whatever. Uh, but in, in this uh, work, which is shown on, on this present CD, the in-betweenness is of a different kind of sort. It's, uh, it's in-between um, historical reference and using refined computer algorithms on that very uh, historical reference. This goes for the um, process, proce uh, processing of Haydn's seven last words. I did this piece twice. I, I, did, I did a processing for piano and then I did a processing for string quartet, which was also recorded on CD with Aditi string quartet. And uh, at this time, I used algorithms to granulate the original Haydn piece. And on the other hand, it's, it's um, um, very expressive music, which I'm dealing here. And uh, so this, this position as being a composer and on the other, on the other hand, being uh, um, uh, making machines do the job and and program machines which are not really composing but but chopping up a piece. And um, I, at this time, I remember I, I used the metaphor. I've, I've, I felt rather more than a gardener. And then there's a, there are other pieces on on the uh, on the CD which show this in betweenness because um, the intermezzi, the first of the intermezzi. I was sitting in this very room here uh, and on my piano, and I just, I, I, I felt a little bit depressed. And so I went to the piano and improvised a 10 minutes piece. And I recorded this piece. And I just transcribed it and did some cosmetics, as you can imagine. And um, this was Intermezzo 1. So on the other hand, uh, uh, my head came in and said, I can't leave it at that. And I sent it, uh, I, I, I took the initial phrase of this composition, uh, which is anyway circling about this, this simple chord phrase, cluster phrase, and put it through the computer, like with the monologies. And so there were two more, more uh, intermezzi, two and three, which were computer processed pieces. And uh, so it's it's a fluctuating state in between improvisation, algorithms, uh, free composition, and and very uh, uh, elaborate construction in the in the context of the second Viennese school. That's really cool. I love hearing about how your personal life experiences and philosophy went into creating these different pieces and how it has affected everything even going to the medium of how you are writing and what you use to write. This next question comes from my colleague, Dr. Madeline Rogers. She unfortunately can't be with us today because she is camping. Um, Good for her. She, yeah. <laughs> so she gave me uh, permission to ask a few questions that she had written right. out for this interview. So here is the first one from her. 
As a pianist who has played many solo pieces and many transcriptions of works originally written for other settings, I'm always curious to know the compositional thought behind writing specifically for piano. As mentioned in the booklet, The Last Words was based loosely on a piece by Haydn that was reduced to the piano and string quartet after originally being composed for orchestra. And you also recomposed this piece for string quartet after the piano solo version in 2010. As a pianist, of course, I'm biased because I think it's a beautifully varied instrument with lots of expressive possibilities. But I'm curious as to what drew you to the piano as the expressive medium for this particular work in its original form. Uh, since this all deals with overriding, uh, the reference to the original Haydn piano text was essential. And uh, so the, the overriding also stuck to the piano and not to a synthesizer or a cembalo or whatever. And um, it's, for me, it's always a ritual to, to write for piano. I overwrote, lately I overwrote the, the 12 Chopin Etudes, uh, Opus 10. And um, I did a whole etude cycle of etudes for piano. And um, I, I'm, I really loved this very, very hard task to write for, for piano without using tricks. This, this means to, to know about virtuosity on the piano and really challenge the piano player as a, as a, uh, in, in the sense of a, of a classical virtuosic piano piece. And, but the, the, the conceptual uh, background goes much further here because this is basically a machine piece. And a piano is a, is a machine. It's a, a very mechanic things. I, I, I also wrote from, for uh, um, player pianos, and, uh, which really brought this out in a, in a much more radical way, the, the, this, this automatism. And if you look at the development of, of um, virtuosity in the 19th century, this was closely to connected with the rise of industrialism to the, to the mechanization of labor and um, also to bring up speed and loudness and perfection like with machines. And for me, the, the, the piano, is a, is a paradigm of a musical machine, and um, in a, which starts to interact with the with the um, with the player, and with a violin or a cello, you are much closer to the breath of the instrument than with a piano. Where it is, you can feel the strings on a piano, but it's it it needs a lot of sensitivity and uh, um, to to work through the mechanical aspect of the instrument. And another player has to care for tuning. It, he or she, it, he uh, has to find the sound of the creation, has, has to do the creation of, 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 of sound in the beginning. With the piano, you're like, a, it's like a typewriter. You press a key and you get the sound ready-made. And it's not like that, you know, there's a whole culture in developing, pressing the keys. But um, basically, it's, it was very near to this uh, clockwork idea 
which is behind the whole monodologies, this, this mechanical aspect, this um, um, robot-like aspect. And uh, what's, what's happening here is more or less uh, the reflection of a virtual automaton, a, a, a virtual machine in a real machine, which is the piano engineered by a human biocomputer. And um, this seemed to me a, a rather challenging interplay and, and discourse. That is so interesting. I have never personally thought about a piano as being a machine before, but the way you describe it, it makes so much sense. And then it, again fits into the whole world of in-betweens that you were talking about earlier between the mechanical engineering and the acoustical that is so fascinating the interplay between those two states of being i love it i remember when i was a kid uh and studying the piano i started opening it up looking inside and, and looking how it worked. And I started to, when I was 15, 14, 15 years old, I started to experiment with this because I was intrigued by all these, these um, um, uh, machinery inside, these levers and pullers and, and stops and whatever was inside. I was really fascinated because before it was just black and closed with a, with a, a cover and, and the sounds came out of it. And then I thought, what's inside this thing? And it made me discover these, these mechanisms which were inside. And it, it really intrigued me. And later on, I went on to synthesizers and, and, and electronic machines uh, uh, for sure. But now I'm coming back to the, to the, acoustic, to the acoustic piano. And um, actually, I, I really love this, this, this game of writing for the keys and creating the sound you mentioned in the beginning, the shades of sound and the timbres of sound just by uh, uh, composing on, on the keys. This whole world of different waves, we can just create so many different colors and timbres with, and I will never get over just how magical that feels. <laughs> Right, right, right. It's the same for me. And if you, if you look at the at the intermezzo one, it's just the making the the piano player discover to bring different lightings in a pretty constant uh, musical setup, and it's just playing with color and dynamics on the piano. And I think um, the 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 piano uh, the, the pianist on the CD does this. Excellently, it's one of for me. It's one of the highlights of the whole CD how he plays this intermezzo because it's really difficult since um, it has been played by a couple of people already uh, for sure. And when I played the improvisation, it came uh, absolutely natural. And also the length was I felt it with my stomach. It was okay, but it turned out that. If it was being played by somebody else, it tended to be uh, a little bit, it dragged a little bit just shortly after the middle section. And um, Wolfram worked 
worked, worked, worked so long on this piece till it flowed. And he does this in the concert too. It's a flow. You, you really realize it's over. And that, that's what I like about his interpretation. When you were writing for this album, did you know you were going to work with Wolfram on any of the pieces? Or was that a collaboration that came after the composing was already done? Much later, much later. Since these pieces were done much earlier, uh, the, the monadologies were performed uh, in, in 2009 at the big festival in Austria. It was, was performed by Mario Formenti at the opening of Musikprotokoll Graz in 2009. The Intermezzi, I just wrote them for myself. And um, there, uh, Wolfgang discovered them, more or less, and started practicing them. And he, he played them together uh, during um, um, another uh, author, a friend of ours, uh, who's, who's, who presented her novels. And he was playing them in between the novels, uh, in, in, wow. in between her readings. And, uh, and suddenly, uh, he started practicing the, the, the Hassan pieces too. And um, so the idea, we, we, the idea arose to do a piano CD, which I always wished for that. And I want to have many, many more because yeah. I love to listen to them. Piano, uh, piano CDs are so nice to listen to. You can put them on and just keep on listening. And um, so we said, let's do a CD because that's such a nice program. I heard it in concert a couple of times and I said, that's really nice. This is a setup which you can listen to, which is apt for doing a CD because each CD has to have a dramaturgy. I'm a listener. I have here in my, my room, there are thousands of CDs, really. And uh, um, I, I'm listening and listening, listening, listening. And uh, he, so I uh, always design a CD, also from the aspect of listening. Uh, how would I like, how should it be so I would like to listen to it? And I, I can tell you this CD is really very, very nice to listen to. And, and I hope to make, an, make another one like this. I hope you make another one like this too. I loved listening to this album. I'm pretty sure I've listened to it all the way through like three times already after the first wow. time. That sounds nice. Wow. <laughs> I have an hour commute to one of my jobs, so I need something to listen to. <laughs> right. I see. <laughs> <laughs> So this next question is another one from the amazing Dr. Rogers. She is, um, for anyone who doesn't know, she is a, a doctorate of piano performance. Um, amazing person. She just graduated with her DMA uh, a couple months ago. So I see. Yeah. So I'll put. For our audience, I'll put her website and stuff in the descriptions if you want to learn more about her work. So here's the question. <laughs> My most recent research project was on a piece that was originally composed with the intention that the pianist improvise, but this original sketch was not fulfilling for the composer and was revised about a decade later to provide notation and clarity for the performer to effectively fulfill the composer's musical vision. 
As a pianist yourself, and one who can obviously improvise with ease, what are your thoughts on clarifying your intent through notation, and how much is left to the performer? That's a very, very complex question, uh, since it's, it's the basic question about interpretation. And as a composer, uh, you send messages into space and uh, you never know the aliens which will decode it. And uh, in, in many regards, these stay, will stay aliens and you will stay an alien. And the communication is based on reading and in doing an interpretation, a very personal interpretation of the things you wrote. And I, for me, is the, the manifold and the diversity of these interpretations is, is the thing. And I love to be read in many different ways. And uh, so I think you could never prescribe all the possible ways to read a text. It's impossible. And that's the good thing because all these different readings open up a discourse. And this discourse of interpret, interpreting uh, a text creates a kind of community and a social space, which is expanding all over the, over the world. And uh, since it's a score-based text, uh, it's, it's uh, open to, to reading much more open than a recording of an improvisation. And if I improvise this intermezzo on the piano, it would be gone. It would be a very nice moment in my life. And perhaps my neighbor uh, was forced to listen to this. I don't know, uh, but uh, it, it would be gone. And in, at the moment, it, I created a text based on this. It became something else. It lost something for sure. It lost a lot of presence, authenticity, and authenticity, and uh, whatever. Uh, but I gained something new because the the versions, which now they have actually been already two versions have been uh, recorded on CD of this intermezzo, and they are so different, and I love it. That, that they are different. And uh, I had in, in my earlier years when I did my first music theater, I wanted to control everything. I wanted, I was the super control freak. I've, I wanted to direct myself and whatever. And then I discovered that letting loose and open your texts for everyone and uh, I would even include misunderstanding here. There is a positive, there is a positive um, form of misunderstanding. It's the, uh, uh, misunderstanding can create beautiful things. It can destroy a lot, but that, that, I wouldn't call it exactly misunderstanding. I would, I would say that it in somehow is being read very well, far away from a, in, primal intentions. And I like it. 
I, I say as soon as it's as there are many, it's, it depends on the manifold. It, it depends on the diversity that many people read one text, and that's the incredible strength of uh, our art form that we are based, we are book based more or less, and uh, the whole the whole universe of reading and being read is is opened by this, and this has an incredible value. I agree. I personally love when I just finished a composition and I go to rehearse with the performers and they do something that's definitely not what I intended, but I can't say how many times I've gone, I actually like that better, let's do that instead. <laughs> or right, just, it's a right. different interpretation, but it's just, so beautiful and it's so cool um, yes and uh, i i absolutely agree and i think that it's it's a very different situation if you have one performance of a piece uh, or if you have many 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 performances of the same piece because in the first performance i tend to do the very thing you do say please do it mm -hmm. like this please do it like this and this and this and this but as soon as you have done this, there create there exists a first version, and the next one refers to this version already, or is able to refer to this version, and the game is on. So um, it's um, it's expanding and 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 changing, and I now heard interpretations of pieces I wrote in the eighties now being played again now in the in the late 2000s and and in in, in in during the last years and you wouldn't recognize the piece it's so changed and it's so different and i i think this is this is a value in itself that the that uh the interpretation has a history and um is a part of a process of a changing process. That is almost just crazy to me. I haven't even been around long enough. I think the most one of my pieces has been performed right now is three times. Um, but that's something. So it's so cool yeah. to hear how it, for you, it has changed over time. I've never really thought that much about how repeat performances change a piece. As soon as you wrote a, 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 a score, a text, um, I, I love to use this image of, of message in a bottle, of a message in a bottle. Mm -hmm. You throw it into the sea of time and see what, what's hap what happens. <laughs> and um, it's it's really now I'm I'm now I'm, I'm an old man and um, and I see um, that that the scores probably will survive me. <laughs> it's it's something which which you which which is floating in 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 space and in time and um, becomes something independent. Who knows? Maybe one day someone will be doing research about one of those pieces and they'll stumble upon this podcast too. Or yours. 
<laughs> Maybe. It would be the same. <laughs> it's the same. Yes. So the sonatas from this album are the fifth episode of a larger series. Why choose to use this term you call cellular automata process and why? What's something you think people who haven't studied musicology will still find intriguing about this writing process? Uh, that's that's really hard to explain without showing it. Uh, there is, I've, I've, wh whoever would be interested in this, uh, I would really encourage to show to see some videos by John Conway. Uh, 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 or uh, uh, Wolf Stephen Wolfram, we find tons of these on the internet, and just watch it. Just watch Selva Automata work, and um, it's easier to show than to talk about it. These were actually Automata I used creating Monadology Five, and uh, there were more than 30, 40 Monadologies later. And uh, the idea goes basically back to Haydn, because uh, Haydn created a sonata, um, type of sonata, which was, is called monothematic uh, sonata form, and is based on the, on the very principle of evolving a piece from a single cell. The second theme in the monothematic sonata is being created through transformation from the first theme. And um, this whole, whole way of developing musical textures from a cell um, is already very closely related to cellular automata. And um, if you look at the rise of the developing principle in the, in the 18th century, and uh, leading later to the to the technique of developing variation at, in the 19th, 19th century. So it all goes back to this um, biological idea, to this biological image of having a seed, a cell, which is going to mutate and branch off and, and uh, grow. And these mechanisms of growth can be created or simulated by cellular automata. And that's what I did. I just took one single bar of Haydn, put it into the automaton, and there was the score. But it was never that easy. I'm simply lying here. Uh, <laughs> I, had, I had to work more with this automata than I would have if I had written it by hand which I later did in the later monodologies, I just skipped the computer. I, did, I went back to writing this all out by hand. But um, uh, at this time, I really programmed my heads off in C++ and did all these uh, uh, um, algorithms. And um, what I did at this time was, that's why I called, my, I called myself a gardener then. I did runs and runs and runs and runs for days and week of this single cell trying out different rules, different algorithms, again and again, and listening to it, again and again, listening to it, and whatever. And then I cut the whole process. I granulated the whole process, and the result was the final score. 
So this is one more question from Dr. Rogers. The musical world has been impacted greatly by a rich history of pianists slash composers. How do you view yourself as someone who is proficient on the instrument you compose for? Do you find joy in playing your own pieces or is it something that you are happy to release to other pianists for performances and recordings? That's very simple. I'm not good enough anymore. Um, I, I can still play my, my Mozart sonatas and my Beethoven sonatas and perhaps a, 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 a few Chopin's, but I'm not good enough to, to, to play these highly virtuosic pieces, some of them perhaps. Um, I, I uh, started to practice the Chopin etudes in my version a little bit, but uh, I'm, I know professional players and we are in an age of speci specialization. Uh, it would, for me, it would make no, no sense to practice them for four or five hours a day uh, to get them running uh, if, if other people are simply better at doing this. And um, I, it's, it's also the other thing that I, I love to be uh, played by somebody else because it's a new way of looking things. We discussed this already before. And um, this is another reason why I prefer uh, to, to collaborate with, with, with players. And that's a very, very interesting game to, to work together with a pian pianist uh, in, the, in the birth of, of a new piece. And I, for example, uh, I have a wonderful friendship with, with the leading um, Belgian um, inter interpreter for piano music, for new piano music, Dan Wanderwalle. And we, were, we have been friends for decades, I have to say. It's, it goes back to the early 2000s when we first met in Czechia. And we were always discussing philosophy, arts and whatever. And we never thought about collaborating till one day, just uh, last November, he did a whole recital with my pieces in, in, in um, transit festival. And uh, it worked so well because we knew each other very well. And he, he really uh, uh, grasped my music in a second. And, and this affinity, this personal affinity really was, was reflected in his interpretation. And it, it, was, it was really wonderful. And, uh, this is much more exciting than, than, than practicing them myself. I, I rather use the time for writing another piano cycle. That is how I personally feel as well um, with clarinet instead of piano. I can play chords on the piano. That's basically my skill. Yeah, right. Um, I, but I've been playing clarinet for since I was a kid, but I am not nearly as good as my colleagues who have dedicated themselves to specializing on the clarinet. And I know that they will do a better job than me, as much fun as it is to write the pieces. And same as what you said, the collaboration of seeing how they do it, their um, artistic liberties, the choices they make, it goes into making, in my opinion, a very deeply connected piece. I agree. 
I agree. But what's behind um, um, uh, the original question is, is a very, very important thing for me because I keep up practicing the piano. Even if I was, I'm 64 now, I still practice the piano. And it's, it gives you uh, uh, these, I would say, uh, down-to-earth touch to things. So you always have to, as even as a composer, and especially as a composer, you always have to think about that people have to play this and mm -hmm. to be able to play that. And as soon as you're practicing yourself and you're playing the clarinet, you you stay in touch. You needn't be the first uh, clarinet player in the orchestra, but you have you you stay in touch. And um, whenever I write for a solo instrument, this answers the question perhaps a little bit better. I have I take the instrument home. I I try when I wrote the violin concerto. I just studied a little bit of cello. I'm no violin player. But I, I tried on the violin and I wrote a piece for four, four guitars. I had I unpacked my guitar. I tried on the guitar. It's, it's a very important thing for me to, to get this musicianship touch in my writing. So it's always close to the player and, and to practicability. And if I write something which is not playable, I consider this a mistake an error and a mistake, so I, I, I redo it. I redo it. It's, it's, uh, I, 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 okay, there, there are pieces who stay a little bit, we discussed this with Wolfram, uh, mm -hmm. when we discussed the first movement of the, of the Monodology 5, which is nearly impossible to play. And I, I like this nearly impossible touch in, in this first, in this first piece, and it should stay like that. It should mm -hmm. really, remain a, a challenge, but it must not overstep this. Because, for example, on the guitar, you can simply write rubbish. I did some mistakes in this piece. They wrote back to me, dear Bernard, this chord is not playable. And then I realized I just wrote one string too many. Uh, I mm -hmm. forgot to, to erase an, a, 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 a note from the chord. And um, um, these are simply mistakes, but you, you, you it, it wouldn't be my strategy to write uh, apart from the player. From, from, and I think staying in touch with your instruments and um, I improvise on here, on the synthesizer, I, I practice my piano. I try to stay in touch. Absolutely. Staying in touch as a musician is very important. I have had my fair share of sheet music given to me that is not playable. And so I think playability is so important. All right, I have just one more question for you. Any last words for aspiring artists who are listening to this interview? I think it's the whole relationship between a composeress and her musicians are based on trust. And um, if the, this trust is kind of uh, um, damaged and hurt, so uh, cynicism uh, starts to grow. 
And he, this composer doesn't know his way around the clarinet. Why does he write for it? He should go to school and, and start mm -hmm. and whatever. You heard, the, you heard this many, many times in rehearsals. So um, it's, it's really important to, to bond with the musicians, to create a, 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 a bond of trust uh, to, to expand and to, de to develop. That's, that's very clear. I completely agree. All right, one last question for you. Yes. Any last word? Any last words for aspiring artists who are listening to this podcast? Uh, it, no, I'm frozen. It seems to, no, I'm not frozen. Uh, I I was I had an interview recently in Paris, and I was asked the same question, and I was a little bit shocked uh, at at the moment uh, for a moment because famous last words they have a, a, um, a, a special meaning in in the uh, as a quotation and i would really recommend um i, I, I would repeat myself um, um and repeat the answer what i gave in paris i said don't listen to these last words just listen to yourself Beautifully put. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you have a great rest of your evening. Thanks, Sapphire. It was a pleasure and time passed quickly, which is a good sign. And mm -hmm. I wish you a lot of inspiration for your writing and for, for your works. And perhaps we meet again one day. Hope so. Thank you so much. Take Bye. care. Hi guys, thank you so much for listening today. It was an honor to have Mr. Lang on the show to talk about his new album. If you would like to give that a listen, the link is down in the description. It'll take you to Kairos, the record label, where they will have the album on Spotify and CD for you to listen to. Also, a big thank you to Dr. Madeline Rogers for contributing questions to this interview. It was great to have a professional pianist description and ideas to contribute to the interview. Go ahead and click her links down below along with Mr. Lang's to find out more about the people that brought this show together. Thank you to IES Abroad and Palandino Media for giving me the internship to make this show possible. Make sure you guys like, subscribe, share to help this podcast get off its feet and become all that it can be. Have a great rest of your day, guys. Bye.